I'm thankful for all of you that, that are faithful and for all of you that are caring and that help. I'm so, so very thankful. I'm humbled by so many wonderful works that the people of God have continued to do. Thank you. It's not to me, but I just say thank you. Just a note, I suppose, having grown up in Pentecost, just a note to all the Pentecostals. It's okay to write down a prayer. It's okay. Written prayers, even if you didn't write them, you can pray a written prayer. They're no less powerful than the ones you can think up on the spot. I've prayed many of David's prayers, applied them to myself. The biblical prayers and other prayers that people have written. So just so everyone knows. It's not sacrilegious to pray a prayer that you read. That's kind of tough for some of those folks that grew up to think that everything had to be inspirational (laughs) or it wasn't of God. Uh, Jesus was praying uh, uh, in his private time and when he finished, his disciples saw him, heard him and they knew they were ill-equipped for prayer and so when he concluded his private prayer they went over to him and they asked Lord would you teach us how to pray and then the Lord gave them this modeled prayer now many people call it the Lord's prayer probably it's better suited to say it was the disciples prayer so let's let's read this and say it together Because this is what the Lord instructed both them and us to do. Are you ready? It's Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9. We'll do this together. Here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. (laughs) Oh, Watch this progression now. Go back to verse 9. Our Father in heaven. That's recognition. Before you start a prayer, you recognize who He is to you. And before you start your petition, here's the second thing. Hallowed be, or we honor your holy name. We know the name, the declaration of the name. Jesus is the name. Those two beginning statements are the foundations of every, or the, is the foundation of every prayer. They reflect our humility before the Lord. He's an all-encompassing God. God. With an all-encompassing name. Jesus. You are God and your name is holy. Come on, help me say that. You are God and your name is holy. Come on, before you get anywhere else, just declare that he is the Lord of your life. He's the God of heaven and earth, and his name is holy. And the Bible says, in that day, the Lord shall be one, and his name shall be one. That's right. And what's the next line? Now comes the most pivotal statement of all, because the next line begins the prayer of petition. Here's how the prayer begins. It's the place where our prayer must begin. Thy kingdom come. 
thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Come on, I want that. Do you want that? Just say it with me as a prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Come on, lift up your voice and say it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Oh, I think we ought to praise him a little bit in this house. We ought to give him praise. Praise is comely for the upright. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. I thank you. You may be seated. There was something about those days when the expectation of the unbelieving Jews became an open invitation for the vile nature of King Herod to be displayed. The Bible says that this king, and I quote, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. The door of persecution against the early church was clearly opened. Herod, the king, saw how it pleased those unbelieving Jews, the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees. It encouraged him. It emboldened him to arrest Peter also. The plan was simple. Peter would die also. The number of soldiers which kept Peter told of the importance of his coming death. Herod ordered four squadrons of four soldiers each to guard him. Two soldiers would be bound to Peter's right and left, one on each side of him throughout the night. Two more soldiers would keep the door. They stood guard, taking ships throughout the night so that not one of them would fall asleep. Four squadrons of four soldiers each. It should have been an easy task. Chained together, guards within and without, a prison cell with latches and locks, all of it protected by the typical means. In all reality, Peter should have been fully kept. The shackles alone were enough. He should have stayed secure until the morning light where his execution would have been certain and swift and pleasing to Herod and to the unbelieving Jews. However... Prayer made the difference. And I read to you from Acts chapter 12 verse 5. Peter was kept in prison. Here it is. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. God sent an angel to set him free. God sent one of the hundreds of millions of angelic beings to bypass the intent and expectation of those unbelieving Jews. Herod's resources, though intimidating at first, were paltry in the light of one of God's warring spiritual beings. Peter should have died, but God answers prayer. It should have been over, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. I rise to say that regardless of what binds you, God answers prayer, and God can set you free. Even though you are bound, even though you are conflicted, it doesn't matter what the resources are set against you. Our God is greater than anything in this world. Can you hear the pastor preach today a little bit now? He can bring you out even though you're not supposed to come out. Even though design is against you, God can bring you out. I've got to tell somebody, God's going to bring you out. He's going to, he can bring you out. Listen, even if you don't feel like you can move, even if you feel like you can't get out of the situation, the Lord can bring you out. Uh, think about the days of Hezekiah, the king. It's a divided kingdom. Israel and Judah now, and Hezekiah is the king of Judah and Judah has done so well under his faithful leadership. But an enemy has come to capture him. The king of Assyria is advancing through the land. The king of Assyria has already taken Samaria, the capital city of Judah. And now he is of Israel. And now he's come against the fenced cities of Judah. 
The Bible says that the Assyrians besieged Samaria. They surrounded them. It was instant poverty, instant starvation. The dried up land gave them nothing as the enemy encompassed them, besieged. And now those fenced cities that lay before Jerusalem were torn down. And to make matters worse, the king of Assyria was taunting Hezekiah and Judah. It was only a matter of time before Jerusalem would suffer the same calamity. If you could picture this in your mind, it was like the path of a tornado. The wreckage was a clear predictor of the coming days. They knew it was coming. Everything in the Syrians' path was devastated, broken down, burned. You could look off in the distance and see the fires into the sky, rising and the smoke. Hezekiah's peaceful days seemed to vanish in thin air. As if he had never felt rest or comfort in his entire life. You see, that's what trouble brings. It can wipe out the knowledge of any good time. It reminds me of the dream that Joseph interpreted for Pharaoh. All of those years prior, Joseph said to Pharaoh, I can interpret your dreams. The first part of your dream, Pharaoh, is that there's going to be seven years of plenty the crops are going to overflow. The harvest is going to be great. In fact, there won't be room in all of your barns to store it all. It's going to be a phenomenal time, a great time of harvest and plenty. And then Joseph said, verse 30 of Genesis 41, And there shall arise after the good years, seven years of famine, and all of the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. You won't even remember you ever had one good day in your life. Going to wipe it out. And that was the scene that King Hezekiah saw. The people of the northern kingdom, Israel, all of them stripped of their dignity. And now Judah is in the throes of the same. Hezekiah groveled before the Lord for an answer. I dare not say the horrid that the people faced. We are so far removed from those days of blood and torment. Of advancing armies with cold hearts, with no sympathy or care. No one should ever face an oppressor who has no pity. The result is shameful. I would be embarrassed to tell you of it. You could not imagine what those armies would do. Hezekiah was in the fight of his life because he knew. He knew what was coming. He couldn't even remember the days of plenty. It wiped them out. The oppressor does that to us. He shows us the proof of his work. And then he taunts us with the same. Fear is his most abundant weapon. Fear can cripple your faith. Fear can diminish your resolve. And because of that fear, as the Bible says, Hezekiah tore his clothes. He doused his head with ashes. And then he ran into the house of the Lord. He's a mess. The king who had served the Lord so brilliantly for so long is now on the brink of defeat and death. Even the prophets and the people said, this is a day of trouble. I'll read, this day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy. For the children are come to birth, the point of birth, and there's not enough strength to bring them forth. I'll let you see the scripture for what it is. There is so much more to say. I can barely paint the starkness of the picture. How bleak it was. The portrait of this king is of anguish and terror and fright. And there is nothing left for him to do. He does not have the resources to withstand the assault that is soon to come. Death is certain for so many people. And Hezekiah does the very last thing he knows to do. He prays. He prays. Oh God, bow down your ear and hear me. The enemy is coming. Deliver us out of his hand. Hezekiah prayed and God answers because God answers prayer. God said that wicked king is not going to come into this city of Jerusalem. God said there won't even be one arrow shot against you during this war. Then that God said there'll be no siege ramp built to climb and to invade you. And there'll be no shield against you. There will be no advancements against you. God said the enemy who has come against you is going to return the same way he came. He's 
he's not going to get into the city, saith the Lord. Read it in your Bible. And in the night, God sent one of his angels. And that one angel, the Bible said, smote 185,000 Assyrian soldiers before Hezekiah ever got out of bed. Because God answers prayer. The thing that surrounds you and haunts you is a daybreak away from never being seen again. I rise to say that our God answers prayer. And the very thing that is besieging you, God can wipe it out in a single day because God answers prayer come on I need you to help me a little bit because I need you to say it rapport God answers prayer God answers prayer he can answer that prayer today yes 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 <laughs> oh yeah there's no way to tell it all I don't have enough time we don't have enough time but I'll offer one more for the moment It's the gospel of Mark chapter 5. And Jesus has just left Gadara. He healed a man in Gadara that was possessed. But it cost the people a lot of money and resources for the Lord to heal that one man. In fact, the Bible says they prayed for him to leave. They didn't want Jesus there. Jesus cost them too much. So he goes to the other side of the sea where a host of people are found welcoming him. I can just tell you, the Lord comes where he's welcomed. He goes where he's welcomed. Uh You welcome him, he'll arrive all the time. You can chase him off or you can open up your hands and your life and say, come on Jesus, I need you. That's the word. And when he gets to the other side, a man named Jarius is there. Jarius is described as a ruler of the synagogue. He's supposed to be the man with all the answers. People look to Jarius for their spiritual well-being. He's an elite group with the provisions that are afforded only to those who occupy that place. But Jarius has a daughter who's very sick. She lies at the point of death. And though there's no rule against this prayer, Jarius will put his career on the line. He'll risk it all by praying to Jesus. The Pharisees and religious order hold no kindness toward the Lord. Jesus is a threat to their very existence. His teachings are more profound than anything that anyone has ever heard. The Lord reads from the Old Testament scripture and then relates the scriptures far greater than anyone. He expounds on them far greater than anyone they've ever heard. It's as if he wrote the book. Verse 29 of Matthew 7. Jesus taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Even still... Despite all the angst against the Lord by those who occupied their religious appointments, Jarius throws caution to the wind as he prays to the Lord on behalf of his daughter. Jarius says to the Lord, My little daughter, she lies at the point of death. I pray thee, come, come, lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. That prayer is one of faith and assurance. It is given to instruction. Come, Lord. You come, you put your hands on her. She will be healed. If you do it, she'll live. There's a lot of faith there. It's all there. The prayer, the pleading, Jairus beseeching the Lord, and the Lord agrees to come. But in the middle of his movement, as he's going to the house of Jairus, as he's on his way, a woman comes. She has an issue of blood and she interrupts the path of the Lord. You see, she has a need also. Just focus your mind for a moment. Focus. Focus with me here. Look away from the woman who presses her way through the crowd. Set her aside. Set her desire and longing to touch but the hem of his garment. Just set it aside for a moment. That crowd, the Bible says, is thronging Jesus. That means there's so many people The woman is making her way through the press. But don't look at her. Keep your eyes on Jairus. 
He had the Lord in his hand. He had Jesus in the palm of his hand. He had Jesus at his prayer. It's going to happen. Some sigh of relief is on the face of Jairus. And then a woman interrupts and all of a sudden that interruption changes the demeanor of Jairus. And Jairus cannot stop it. He cannot make another demand of the Lord. But for certain there is something in the mind of this desperate father. You see, like all of them, to Jairus, Jesus is a healer. Like to Mary and Martha with their brother, Jesus is a healer. But he's not a resurrection. They can manage that kind of power. Healer, yes. On time, miracle worker, yes. But raising people from the dead never crosses their mind. They think, Jairus included, that they need to give Jesus something to work with. Like so many people, I'll tell you what, Lord, I'm going to get this together. And then when I get it together, I'll give you something to work with. Come on, Lord. She's at the point of death. But if you can come, lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. I tell you today that an earnest prayer from your heart can move outside the boundaries of your own mind's limitations. And I tell you today, God answers prayer. He has never lost sight of your need. And there are no interruptions that will make him forget the nature and the heart of your heartfelt and most desperate desire. Because God answers prayer. I want to tell you right now, if you feel like something has interrupted and something has gotten in the way, God did not forget your prayer. He did not forget your heart's desire. And it may look like it's not going to happen, but the prayers of the saints never die. I still believe in the prayers of the saints. I still believe in the prayers of the people of God. I still believe that prayers changes things. I believe that God answers prayer. And I hope that somebody in this house would just reply back to me. God answers prayer. Hey, even if you don't give God anything, he can take nothing and make something out of it. You don't have to have something for God to make a miracle. The Bible is so filled with these moments. Who could ever doubt God? There are testimonies seen and heard in all of our lives about the goodness and the power of the Lord. Who could refute the wonder and majesty of our Lord? Even in this house today, there are people whose stories you may have forgotten or maybe you never knew. They are walking miracles among us. Sickness and illnesses have vanished. Doors have been opened that should never have been there. Relationships have been restored. I've watched it. Marriages with all the love wrung out of it. But somehow God brought a healing. I'm astounded at his infinite omnipotence. No wall high enough no valleys deep enough no mountain he cannot climb God answers prayers that even the person praying it is not even quite sure it's possible that's right God answers prayer God answers prayer say that out of your mouth God answers prayer I know I'm provoking you a little bit. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Oh, yes, he does. Don't stop praying because God answers prayer. He can set you free. He can provide things for you. You didn't know God answers prayer. In fact, when you fail in your prayer and you don't really know how to pray, you can just say, God, save me, help me. And he'll do all the rest. In fact, he'll fill in all the blanks in your prayer that you didn't even know how to utter. God can go beyond your limitations of your own mind. He can do exceeding abundantly above everything you can ask or think. You can't even think of the things that he can do for you. Oh, yes. But that is only part of the plan. That's only part of it. And I so wish it was the whole of it. I so wish that the answers to prayers all followed suit. That they were all the same. All the same kind and of all the same nature. All I can tell you today is that God answers prayer.
even when the answer is not what you want it to be. I preached all of that to tell you this. God answers prayer. C.S. Lewis helped me see it so many years ago. He wrote this and I quote from him. He said, We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Sometimes I'm hesitant to rejoice over those who come to me and they're in the middle of conflict, a dilemma, and they quote to me Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Many people have offered this scripture to me and to themselves for their own reassurance. They quote it and they say, yes, pastor, but I know all things are going to work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It's all going to work for my good. I love that scripture. But I ask you, what good? The right now good? Our earthly good? This moment good? What good? Will things work out for our good now or will they ultimately work out for our good? When the bottom fell out and Job lost everything, and I mean everything, he lost his children, he lost all of his money, his land, his cattle, the thousands of cattle and sheep and goats and houses, all of his crops burned up. His wife was the only one left. And she added to his sorrow by saying, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job replied to his wife, he said, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And I ask you, is God simply bound to give us good in this life? Could it not also be that in this life we will also suffer just to enter into the good that God has prepared for us? All things will work out for our good and I submit that the good might not be seen or realized in the days you live on this earth. We prayed. You prayed with me. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. That was the prayer. By all measurements and all of Christendom and religious settings, that prayer, the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer, the model prayer, this pattern, it's been recited and prayed more than any prayer in the last 2,000 years. More people have prayed the Lord's Prayer than any prayer ever. It was the Lord's presented pattern, but it was also repeated. It was memorized. There have been lyrics set to that that prayer on many different generations. It has been invoked, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth, which means in me, in my time, in my life, his will and his kingdom, those plans might not include a yes or a deliverance or a jailbreak or a healing. It might include a no or refusal for your greater good. But I say today, God answers prayer. Is God any less merciful or kind if he answers your prayer according to his divine will? Where did the will of God go? Where did his eternal plan go? Void of our temporal expectations. I fear that it was lost in the propagation of prosperity and gain. I'm concerned that perhaps the will of God was pushed aside in favor of something that brought instant benefit to our current living. If things are bad... If things are unresolved, if there is an issue unresolved or a problem, then there is often a feeling that God has left us. He's abandoned us. He's absent from us. When in reality, God answers prayers. His answers, however, don't always fit into our desired outcome. He does not always answer them with our presumed and expected assumption. Paul once wanted to preach in a place in Asia. Paul wasn't going to preach. 
And God said, no, which makes no sense to our finite minds, our logical minds. How can you reject preaching? I'll read it to you from the scripture in Acts 16. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Forbidden. They were come to Mysia. They had saved. They wanted to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit wouldn't let them go. Suffer them not. Paul, Luke, the apostles, all of them full of faith and courage, wanted to preach the gospel. And can you imagine it? God said no. In fact, they were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach there. I've seen this so many times before in my life. People with good intentions and kind hearts. Men and women with the gospel in mind, a mission, a work in mind, or some other ministry at their heart, and they cannot figure out why God would say no. How many have asked for something and prayed with a no at the end, only to end up bitter and angry? Because we often think that nothing should stop our desire to do ministry. That wasn't the only time the disciples prayed and did not get what they wanted. Read it in Acts chapter 21. Paul is sailing on the open seas. Man, you talk about a cruise from a place called Coos to Rhodes and then off to Patara. They sailed to Phoenicia and then to Cyprus and then on to Syria. It was a long journey. The apostles and prophets along the way, the disciples, so many of these people at every stop, all of them telling Paul through the Spirit they saw things and they said, don't go to Jerusalem. They were godly men and godly women who were filled with the Holy Ghost. One of them, his name was Agabus. He he bound up Paul. He took Paul's uh, belt, his sash, and he tied up Paul's hands and feet. Can you... Can you, can you see this? If Paul's standing there sitting down, Paul let him do it. He, he tied up his hands and his feet and Paul is bound now by his hands and his feet. And Agabus prophesied and he said, the Jews which are at Jerusalem are going to bind you up just like this if you go there. All of those people were spiritual. All of them saw things in the Holy Spirit that were going to happen to Paul. They were disciples and apostles and prophets and prayer warriors. They had insight into the Holy Spirit and they all spoke the truth. Are you ready for this? But the truth of the future did not prohibit the design of the kingdom. Luke is writing and Luke writes in Acts 21, 13. This is what he said. Paul told us, What mean ye to weep and break my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. After all those words, after all that had been said, when Paul could not be persuaded, they finally settled here, saying, the will of the Lord be done. They finally settled on the will of the Lord. I want to offer you a God that heals the human condition all of the time. I so wish I could be one of those famed preachers who tell stories about everyone being healed and every bill being paid and everything resolved. But I must tell you that not all the things we see or desire fit into the large and expansive view of God's kingdom. What I can tell you today is that if you pray... God answers prayer. Maybe it was not the answer you wanted, but God answers prayer. He might have just answered it according to his eternal view or according to his transcendent love, which we cannot understand. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You see, God sees his kingdom and we see our need. God sees eternity And we see our present. God sees the greater picture while we're often stuck in the smallest of frames. I believe that God is far, far more interested in his eternal will than he is in my present comfort. Jonah did not want to be in Nineveh. Jonah wanted no part of that wicked city. He prayed against it. He pointed himself in the extreme opposite direction to get away from there. But God said, no, 
God was not interested in Jonah's emotional state. It could be concluded that Jonah had good reason to avoid Nineveh. Brother Scott taught this lesson a few years back because those people were ruthless. They did unseemly things to people, sometimes to torture people. The Ninevites would bury someone in the ground only with their neck and head sticking out. They would die there a horrid death. Perhaps some of them were Jonah's relatives. The last place he wanted to be was in Nineveh. He hated Nineveh. He held anger against the people. And the last thing he wanted to see was a city in repentance. Because he knew. And in fact, when they repented, Jonah was mad that they repented. And he said, I knew, God, you were faithful. I knew you were slow to anger and of great kindness. I knew you would forgive them. But God's will was greater than Jonah's preference. You see, God answers prayers. The question is then this. Will you still love a God that answers your prayer the way he sees fit? Can you still trust a God who answers a prayer according to his divine will and his kingdom? I'm almost finished and it seems so quick. I left my office last night praying and the Lord overwhelmed me. I couldn't stop, couldn't stop crying before God. I know these sermons, they come and they're just there. It's my only really true grieving in preaching is I, I fear they're so quickly lost, forgotten. Those Acts chapter 1 disciples. Acts chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all culminate into Acts 1. There are dozens of disciples. Maybe, a, maybe there's over 100, 120 of them now. They, they will, it, in a moment, venture into an upper room in Jerusalem. But for now, there's men and women. They've all huddled around the Lord. It's after his resurrection, before his ascension. The Bible says that he showed himself alive to them by many infallible proofs. It makes me ponder what they could have been. He was seen to them for 40 days. He taught them. In fact, he did more miracles in that period of time than we know. The Bible doesn't tell us what they were. The writers didn't write them down. The roller coaster of the Lord's years among them, three and a half years, all those highs and lows, he was... Worshipped on Palm Sunday and crucified one week later. They were laying coats and branches in his path. Seven days later they were crying, give us Barabbas, set him free, crucify Jesus. He walked on water in front of those disciples. They were filled with fright. But when push came to shove, they all abandoned him. He loved them all the same. When he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was captured in the dark of night. The betrayal by one of his own followed by the beatings that he suffered and then ultimately the crucifixion. The highs were so high, but the lows made them think there was never a high. The words of Joseph's dream, his interpreted dream, comes back again and again. Perhaps every life will experience those same moments when you're pressed and in crisis there's a great possibility you'll forget that God was ever good. The disciples of both men and women are now gathered around the Lord after this resurrection in Acts chapter 1. So much is said and done and so much is left out of the Bible's script. He showed himself alive. I want to say that he showed himself alive by many, many, many infallible proofs. I cannot imagine their bewilderment. He's among them for all those days doing things that should not and cannot be done by mortal men. He's speaking about the things they have never heard before. Luke pauses long enough to offer us a crumb when he writes that Jesus, and I quote, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's it. Finally, they muster the courage to ask the Lord one pressing question. When they were come together, they asked of him in verse 6, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? 
Maybe they finally knew that Jesus was not a king of man's making. Maybe, maybe they finally realized that his was a divine kingdom. Even still, the truth remained in them. It was an expectation that one day, someday, it would happen. The time would come when God would restore the kingdom to Israel. Perhaps they were reaching back to the Abrahamic covenant. Someday Israel would be restored. It was their prayer. It was a deep, and it is a deep and enduring prayer among them. You can hear it today. If you walk close to the western wall in Jerusalem, it's called the Wailing Wall, you'll hear the Jews praying for the restoration, the kingdom to come to Israel. They pray prayers for Israel today. They pray prayers for the Messiah to come. The Jews pray for the Messiah to come for the first time while the born-again believers are praying for his second coming. And what of it? What of that? What did Jesus reply to that single question among them? Surely that was not the only question they had after all of those things. Surely not, but perhaps to Luke and to them, it was the only question that mattered. Lord, will you restore again the kingdom to Israel? And here was the Lord's reply in verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. I wonder today, is it still okay not to know what is happening in our lives? Is it all right to let the Father be the Father? To let the times and the seasons remain kept by Him? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. I say today, God answers prayer. Even if you don't understand it, God answers prayer. Even if He doesn't answer in the way you want Him to answer, God answers prayer. Every message I preach is a song I write. This one has a chorus you may not want to sing. God answers prayer even if the answers aren't what you desired. God answers prayer even if it bends you in the opposite direction. God answers prayer even if the outcome contradicts your human thought or reasonable desire. He still answers prayer. A moment ago when I was preaching about getting out of jail and having provisions... It is the natural response for us to shout. In fact, I say today, if someone walked out of a wheelchair and if someone was healed of cancer or a tumor fell off on the ground, there would be no shortage of cries and, and, and shouts and dancing and people were running. If you received what you've been praying for all these years and you got what you finally wanted, the most desired thing in your life. It was something we could see. We would all be shouting and praising. God answered prayer. But I will tell you, even when he says no, it's hard. There's very few people who clap and say, thank you, Lord. Our issue is simple. We think he only answers prayers when he says yes. We think he only answers prayers when he heals. We think he only answers our prayers when he delivers. We think that God is strong and he's loving. When as the Bible says, he's making a way where there seemeth to be no way. But I rise to say that God is just as strong to keep you in the conflict that burdens your life but saves your soul. Mm -hmm. He's just as loving when he answers the way he so desires. And I know how this sounds. It sounds it sounds a little apathetic to our crisis and to our suffering. It sounds a little callous and harsh when people are going through trouble. So I'll say it to myself. My temporal pain is, is only for a season, even if the season is the totality of my earthly life. But God answers prayer and God cares for me because he is standing on the other side of my temporal Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Sometimes God sends people into difficult places. His kingdom has often traded one life for the salvation of hundreds and hundreds of people. 
and we might rejoice over the hundreds and hundreds unless that one life traded was your life or the life of one of your loved ones. I remember the story of a missionary couple who spent years digging a work in a foreign land trying to establish something at church. It was so labor-intensive with almost no help. They had no money. For certain, they had no conveniences. See, the work in the early days of ministry meant doing something without the means. We have people right now that will go do something for God as long as they're supported. (laughs) Ministry means serving. But our modern churches have put ministry into a selective and unique position so that it exempts us from serving. Most people don't want to be in the ministry. And when you say you're in the ministry, it means that you're doing a specific thing when really the whole church should be in the ministry. All of you are ministers because ministry just means serving. And if you're not in the ministry, then you're not serving. And if you're not serving, then you're not Christ-like. And if you're not Christ-like, how do you expect to go to heaven if you're not Christ-like? We professionalize churchgoers so that there are very few ministers. In fact, we just think ministers are the people who preach or teach. Ah. That missionary couple, they did all that they could do. If you put it on paper, if you wrote down what they had done, if you had to write a report of their numerical success, it would appear that those missionaries had done almost nothing. You couldn't even compute their time spent. But they were working on a foundation of prayer and teaching. They brought a Bible into a place where no Bible had ever been. They gave their lives to shining a spiritual light in a dark place. Light in a dark place. Go figure out what that takes. It will consume you. It will devour your days. It will eat up your fleshly ambition and your carnal mindset. It will alienate you from friends and often family. Shining the light in a place like that will change your faith. Challenge your faith on a daily basis. For this missionary couple, they, they, it was said of them that they constantly questioned their self-worth. Are we doing okay? Are we doing good? See, putting a light in a dark place is no easy task. They prayed for souls. They prayed for people. They wanted a revival of lost people. They wanted to see baptisms. They believed it would come in their lifetime. In fact, people prophesied there is a revival coming to this place. And they believed that it was meant for them. And a revival did come. It was incredible. God answers prayers. But he did not answer it in their time. He answered it after they had passed and were long gone. But God answers prayers. God answers prayers. So when you say, use me, Lord, I want to be used of you. Just know, God answers prayers. Here, pastor, when you say, Lord, whatever it takes, I want to be saved. I want you to know, God answers prayers. When you say, I want to minister, Lord, just know this, God answers prayers. Because I've watched a lot of people shove ministry away because that wasn't what they wanted. They had an expectation of what they wanted God to do for them. They didn't want ministry. They they wanted to call it ministry. They had a design in their mind what they wanted to do for, for the kingdom. But God answers prayers. Yes. Here's the question. Will you still love a God that answers your prayer the way he sees fit? Can you trust a Savior who answers a prayer that's outside of your purview? I want you just to close your eyes right now. I want you to put aside everything in your life to set it aside. Say it with me again. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In my life, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. 
Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. He can heal, but he can also delay. He can delay, but he can also say no. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Did you forget about thy will be done? His kingdom is greater than your ambition. So if you tell me it's about the gospel, he's already said no to many of the apostles. Can he say no to you without you being angry or bitter? Would you believe this? God answers prayer. He answers all the prayers. Would you receive his answer? And would you just say, you're God. You're the king. You're the one. You're the savior. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm reaching for somebody here today, for all of you, but if there's somebody here today that would just cry out to God, I want you to stand with me. And if you just do this, I know I'm provoking you to do things today, but if you'll just close your eyes and raise up a hand or two hands to God, would you just receive the Lord and receive whatever answer that he may give to you? Could you tell the Lord, I'm trusting you, Lord, with my life. I'm trusting you with my life and my time. I'm trusting you with whatever answer you give to me, Lord. I'm loving you. I need you. Thy kingdom, thy kingdom, thy kingdom.